Hello, Radioland. Well, we came in for some heavy seas there, didn't we? And the wind and the rain continue. But we have managed to repair some of our gear here aboard the good ship Ghostlight. And we're long overdue to share some tunes and some stories that have piled up during this long radio silence. I do see stormy seas ahead coming into December. Way too many ports of call, 13 Christmas presents performances spread over a few different venues. And then the good ship will sail down to California waters for Christmas. So I can't even promise we'll be getting any more shows on air till the new year. But for now, to all the ships at sea. When you Stone. Hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a goal. Pacemakers, joined by about 50,000 Liverpool supporters. And the song that's been the Liverpool Football Club's anthem since the mid-1960s. Every Liverpool home game, as the players take the field, the entire crowd holds their team scarves up high and sings. It is 
an extraordinary thing. The origins of this tradition are pedestrian enough, I suppose. In 1963, the club installed Tannoy speakers in the Anfield Stadium, and before games, they'd play the commercial hits of the day to warm up the crowd. But when Liverpool's own Jerry Marsden had a hit with You'll Never Walk Alone, the crowd started to join in singing when they'd play it. And when the tune dropped out of the top ten rotation and wasn't played, the Merseyside throng started in singing it on their own before games. And they kept on singing it for the next 58 years. Tim Jones of The Guardian writes, But the anthem has a deeper meaning, too. After the 1989 Hillsborough disaster, when 96 football fans lost their lives and several hundred were injured, the song's lyrics offered comfort, but also determination. Walk on through the wind, it urges. Walk on through the rain, and you'll never walk alone. This is a city that refused to back down in the face of establishment cover-ups and calls to move on. Back in March 2020, shortly after the pandemic forced the UK into lockdown, the team's beloved and inspirational manager, Jurgen Klopp, spoke about hearing National Health Service workers on the front line sing the song while on duty. I was sent a video of people in the hospital just outside the intensive care area, and when they started singing You'll Never Walk Alone, I started crying immediately, he said. That spring, Liverpool won the English Premier League for the first time in 30 years in front of an empty stadium. The following season, with Liverpool's team crippled by injuries, was played almost entirely without fans. So when this year's season began, in August of 2021, and Liverpool played their first game in front of a full crowd, for the first time since they won the league title a year and a half before, oh my, when the song began, the commentators stopped commentating, and for two minutes and 38 seconds, there was nothing but that 50,000 voice working class choir. And by the way, Liverpool won that game 5-0 over their arch-rivals Manchester United on goals by Diogo Jata, Naby Keita, and three by Mohamed Salah. I think it was the song. You know, these times we're living through, they, 
they call for a certain amount of resilience, don't they? Perseverance, courage, even. I might think life is like that a lot of the time, even without floods and pandemics and all the disruptions that come with all of that. But, you know, it happens that I've got a few very close friends right now who are having it really rough. Health, marriage, deaths, work, family stuff. It's a weight. It's also a tender, human, intimate kind of time. Caring about people when they're wounded. It's humbling. It cuts my own cares down to size. My mind has turned often lately to another song I heard in a sports arena, coincidentally enough. It's been a favorite for a lot of years, ever since my girls were listening to it on the radio back in 1997, and I recorded the top 10,000 countdown for them on New Year's Eve. We listened to our favorites on a cassette in the car for a long time to follow. I can't get over the incredible uplift and sheer pop energy of this song with a kind of soul-searching lyrics you don't expect in that kind of rave-up dance tune. A couple years ago, I finally made my way to Fenway Park, ticking off the last vintage baseball stadium on my life list. Comiskey Park, Wrigley Field, Candlestick, the old Tiger Stadium... I made the pilgrimage to Shea Stadium and the old Yankee Stadium the week before they told them tore them down. But as we sat in the autumn sunshine in terrific seats at Fenway and gazed in awe at the green monster, who should start playing over the tannoy with a heck of a lot of rowdy Bostonians singing along? Here it is from the Z95.3 Countdown for 1997. And by the way, it should definitely have been higher on the chart than number 95. Dickie Barrett, Nate Albert, Joe Gittleman, Kevin Lanier, Dennis Brockenborough, Tim Burton, Johnny Vegas, Joe Sirwa, and Ben Carr. Their fans call their music ska core. I just think it's horny. The impression I get, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones at 95 on Z95.3. Have you ever been close to tragedy? I've been close to folks who have. Have you ever felt the pain so powerful, so heavy you collapse?
tested I'd like to think that if I was, I would pass Look at the tested and prepare before the grace go on Might be a coward, I'm afraid of what I might find out Bostones. And I'm sending that out to all Bostonians and everybody who's weathering heavy seas these days. Sobering stuff, but it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. I made a new friend this fall. Michelle is a fellow enthusiast. She gets carried away by movies and literature and great music and all that kind of good stuff. In recent years, she found her way to the Orthodox Church. I don't mean Orthodox like she left some heretical church and now she believes the right things. I mean like capital O, Orthodox, like Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Smells and bells and Andrei Rublev and all that. Anyway, she sent me the 55 Maxims of the Christian Life by a capital O Orthodox priest and teacher, named Father Thomas Hopko. You know, me and Father Tom have something in common. We're both emeritus, by the way. Well, he died only a few years ago, but somehow these maxims seem ancient to me. Wise. Essential. So, from the 55 maxims of the Christian life, here are my personal top ten. Be always with Christ and trust God in everything. Read good books, a little at a time. Be an ordinary person, one of the human race. Do your work, then forget it. Be simple, hidden, quiet, and small. Don't judge anyone for anything. Don't try to convince anyone of anything. Give advice only when asked or when it is your duty. Be merciful with yourself and others. And when you fall, get up immediately and start over. Nothing's impossible, I have found 
For when my chin is on the ground, I pick myself up, dust myself off, start all over again. Don't lose your confidence if you slip. Be grateful for a pleasant trip and pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and start all over again. Work like a soul inspired till the battle of the day is won. You may be sick and tired. But you'll be a man, my son. Don't you remember the famous men who had to fall to rise again? They picked themselves up, dust themselves off, and started all over again. Crawl and the Father Thomas Hopko Dance Orchestra with Jerome Kern and Dorothy Field's tune from Swing Time, a 1936 song and dance movie that featured Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Okay, I made up that part about the Thomas Hopko Dance Orchestra, but that was Diana Crawl, Nanaimo's own Diana Crawl. Pick yourself up. You know, it's easy to dismiss these cheerful, peppy tunes from the middle of last century. Put on a happy face, pennies from heaven, high hopes, with their wide-eyed optimism. We know better, right? This is naive. Life is hard. There's no easy answers. Folks were so naive in the good old days. Uh, 1936? The good old days of the Great Depression. You know, I've been thinking about uh, how many of these songs come from the 1930s or during World War II. I think maybe we ought to quiet down and listen to our elders now and then. Maybe it's cheap sentiment, maybe it's cheesy optimism, or maybe, just maybe, it's hard-won wisdom. Survival strategy for desperate times. 
Will you remember the famous men who had to fall to rise again? So take a deep breath, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again. I mean, you got a better idea? When your chin is on the ground, you just lie there? I know it's not always that simple, but... I remember one particularly brutal stretch at Pacific Theatre. I would come home very late at night. Everybody had gone to bed at my house. And I had nothing left. I certainly wasn't ready to pick myself up and start all over again anytime soon. All I had it in me to do was sit myself down and not even think and just listen to what Miles Davis had to say. And the storms would quiet a bit and eventually I'd be ready to pick myself up, head upstairs, lie down and go to sleep. Sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care.
Blue in Green, from his 1959 recording, Kind of Blue, the best-selling jazz record of all time. I think you can see why. Thanks, Miles. So, yeah, I'm a Liverpool supporter. The team, that is, not the city. I mean, I'm sure the city is, like, terrific and everything, home of the Beatles and all, but I have no first-hand experience of that, whereas the football club... Okay, I, I should say here that we've got some translating to do. Football refers to what I used to call soccer. A football club is a soccer team, and supporters aren't donors or items of athletic equipment. They are what we tend to refer to over here as fans, or in the annoying sports jargon of the day, the fan base. The Premier League, not the Premier League, is the top tier of English football. The majors, I guess you could say. So, with that settled, Liverpool FC, the Liverpool Football Club, have been a lifesaver for me this past year and a half. Once the darn pandemic kicked in and the structure of a theater season kind of just disappeared almost overnight, the days and weeks and months started to just run together without any sort of structure or through line. There just wasn't much to distinguish the days or weeks, no dramatic structure. As we say about a badly plotted story, it was just one damn thing after another. And then they started playing football again. And there was a title race. And there was drama. And there were objectives and obstacles. Good guys and bad guys. and No predicting what would happen. Something to look forward to on a Saturday morning. And yes, as I mentioned before, in case you forgot... Liverpool won it all in stunning fashion. And I know this kind of thing doesn't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world, but still. As Jurgen Klopp said when the team was shut down during those disorienting early days, football is the most important of the least important things. My Liverpool obsession is the fault of a Welshman, a Mr. Ewan Russell Jones. By the way, everyone in Wales is named Jones. We teach together at Regent College, and when I first started taking an interest in the beautiful game in the fall of 2018, I mean, I'd followed some World Cups and some Copa Americas before that, but that's every, like, what, once a year? And I'm kind of going, like, what do they do in between these things? Do they, do they like play regularly? And I found out at the Premier League. So, in the fall of 2018, Ewan became my Virgil, not Virgil Van Dyke, but the kind of you know the mythical guy. He was my guide, answering my newbie questions, schooling me on the finer points of the game. He'd been a Red. That's what you call a Liverpool supporter, regardless of politics. He'd been a Red since childhood. See, Liverpool is up just a bit up from Wales. So that's the team he grew up supporting. And in the UK, your football club is your club for life. Win, lose, or draw. 
And he'd seen plenty of losing and drawing over the years. But now Liverpool was winning. So it was probably inevitable, inevitable I would end up drawn to his team since they were having a thrilling breakthrough season and since we talked every Monday night about football. But you know what really clinched the deal for me? What really locked me in? Not just the game itself, not just the thrill of having a fresh enthusiasm to immerse myself in, just as much as the game, it was the talk about the game. All the terminology to learn. Fixtures and tables and derbies and panenkas and number nines and gig and pressing and but you know, even more the sound of those voices, those accents, commentators, players, podcasters, everybody from a different part of the United Kingdom. I, I kinda think that's what really hooked me. Okay, listen to this accent. This is Ellis James a hardcore fan of the Welsh national team. He's talking about a World Cup qualifying match from a bit earlier this fall. You may not understand what he's talking about. You might not understand a thing he's saying. To be honest, between the terminology and the Welsh accent, I can't even follow some of it. But that's not exactly the point. Just listen to the music of this man speaking. Think of this as a song, a love song. Two minutes and 14 seconds of Welsh lyricism. An ode to the greatest living Welsh footballer of them all, Gareth Bale. What do you say, Belarus to Gareth Bale? Three, oh, just complete relief. Um, we were playing in Kazan because uh, the game wasn't allowed to be held in Belarus, Kazan, of course, is about two and a half thousand miles away. We have 13 players out um, through a combination of suspension, COVID issues, injury, and also visa issues. Now, at any other point in our history, 13 players missing, we'd have lost that game. Um, Belarus, I think, are 89th in the world. Um, so you, these are the games you have to win if you want to qualify for a World Cup. You have to beat Belarus. Now, with 13 players missing, that's not the kind of result Wales have had historically. Gareth Bale just steps up when it matters. I love him so much. So we went 1-0 up after five minutes, and you're thinking, great, okay, good, stick stick to 1-0, and then we can fly home, job done, bye. And then we just unraveled in this crazy 90 seconds, two minutes, and suddenly we're 2-1 down. So for Bale to score another penalty and then a, a 93rd minute winner, it just doesn't get any better than that. And also, we were sloppy, our passing was sloppy, a lot of our players were caught out of position. But Gareth, I mean, you know, when was the FAW founded? 1876. Our best players, Billy Meredith, John Charles, Ivor Orchurch, Ian Rush, Mark Hughes, Neville Southall, Ryan Giggs, obviously... He's better than all of them. All of those players who are part of that conversation, he, you know, he is number one. And this is a very, very bleak um, analogy, but I feel a little bit like a dog owner who knows he's only got a couple of summers left. Um, 
With his dog, I should say. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I don't know how much longer he's going to play for Wales. He's 32. So I'm just appreciating every time he puts on the shirt. He's on 98 caps. He's desperate to get 100. But anyway. Pure poetry. But as Ellis James says, anyway, where were we? Oh, yes, Wales. You and Russell Jones, poetry. Right. Earlier this fall, I had discovered a new poet. New to me, that is. R.S. Thomas, a Welshman. All Welsh poets are named Thomas, by the way. And when I asked Ewan if he knew R.S. Thomas's poetry, he most certainly did. Ewan wrote, R.S. Thomas, now he is a bona fide Welshman albeit with a cut-glass English accent. He spoke Welsh and was a priest in areas where the folks were mostly entirely Welsh-speaking, but he couldn't write in Welsh because his parents never taught him to speak the language, and he was very angry about that. He learned Welsh as an adult and then ministered in Welsh, very much a nationalist, and he hated the disappearance of Welsh culture. For years, he refused to do interviews in English but he could only write in English. So, hearing that from Ewan, I had the voice of Ellis James echoing in my inner ear, and I started to wonder how R.S. Thomas's poetry might have sounded if he had written it and spoken it in Welsh. So I asked Ewan if he would do a rough translation of a Thomas poem into Welsh. R.S., that is, not Dylan. And Ewan obliged on condition that you make it very clear that translating R.S. into Welsh was your crazy idea and commission. Well, it was. Here it is, The Bright Field, read by R.S. Thomas, followed by you and Russell Jones. The Bright Field I have seen the sun break through to illuminate a small field for a while, and gone my way and forgotten it. But that was the pearl of great price, the one field that had the treasure in it. I realize now that I must give all that I have to possess it. Life is not hurrying on to a receding future nor hankering after an imagined past. It is the turning aside like Moses to the miracle of the lit bush, to a brightness that seemed as transitory as your youth once, but is the eternity that awaits you. Rwydi gweld yr hael yn torri trwyddo i oleio cae bach am Ac wedi mynd fy ffordd a'i nghofio. Ond dyna oedd y perlog o bris mawr, yr un cae a gafodd y trysor ynddo. Rwy'n deall nawr bod yn rhaid i mi roi'r cyfan sydd gennyf i fod yn berchen arno. Nid yw bywyd yn brysio ymlaen i ddyfodol sy'n cilio, nac yn poeni ar ôl gorffennol dychmygol. Y troi o'r neilltu ydyw, Fel Moses i'r wyrth o'r llwyn wedi oelio, i ddisglyrdeb roedd unwaith yn ymddangos mor dros dro a chi a ienctid. 
ond yw'r tragwyddoldeb sy'n aros am danochi. Hmm. Life is not hurrying on to a receding future, nor hankering after an imagined past. Hmm. The sun breaking through to illuminate a small field for a while, as transitory as your youth. Eternity that awaits. Years have 
since those summer days among the fields of barley see the children run as the sun goes down as you golden field, another glimpse of eternity, Eva Cassidy. So we're all Wales and Liverpool tonight, aren't we? With a bit of Boston and some jazz into the mix. Strangest thing, you know, I was, I was pretty far gone in my not-so-magnificent obsession with Liverpool FC before it even dawned on me that Liverpool was, well, Liverpool, that Liverpool, Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields, Cavern Club, all that. And of course, right now, everybody's emailing me about those Beatles all of a sudden. The Beatles get back on one of those streaming services. 468 minutes of John Paul the musicians, not the Pope. John, Paul, George, and Ringo recording the 36-minute LP, Let It Be. Nothing succeeds like excess. I shall immerse myself in those waters soon enough, but I haven't managed it yet. There's been a lot going on. Maybe I need to retire. Anyhow, I've got a Beatles special all planned out. Bootlegs, covers, original versions of tunes that the Beatles covered... Much grooviness. But tonight seemed to want to head off in another direction, so I let it. Maybe someday we'll get back to those Beatle folks. But let me leave you with this. Here's Aretha Franklin moving a well-known story from working-class Liverpool to New Bethel Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. A photo album. Snapshots of Another Side of Anonymity. Oh! 
Oh, sing it, Sister Aretha. Yeah, that's me, the Father Mackenzie of the airwaves, writing his sermons that maybe no one will hear. Except you, good listener. Isn't that always the allure of late-night radio? Just you and a far-off DJ, talking and listening to some fine music together. Music for the shank of the night, or the middle of the storm, or whenever and wherever you happen to be listening. Good night. See you next year. Because